0: I think for me growing up, you know, nothing was ever enough. I wasn't Latin enough to be accepted by the Latinas. I wasn't white enough. I'm not a redneck. You know, my parents didn't have money. So, you know, even though I went to a private school for a few years, like I didn't really assimilate with them, but I wasn't like in the hood. So I just really didn't know where I belonged. And I think that that really fostered my desire to be inclusive.
1: From Fiore Communications, it's How I Got Here, a show of inspiring stories from Tallahassee area leaders, business owners and neighbors, all the challenges, opportunities, inspirations, the twists and turns of life that led them to where they are today. Everyone has a story worth telling and I am really grateful that we get to bring a few of them to you. I truly have been changed by my conversations with these amazing people and I'm confident you will be too. I'm Dave Fiore, and in this episode, I talk with Christine Dobysensky, whose positive attitude and affection for life and everyone around her belies the struggles and challenges she has endured. From addiction and damaging relationships to finding love and peace with herself, Christine's story is sure to encourage anyone tempted to think it can never get better. I do need to give a warning here that this episode contains brief but frank discussion about drug use and its consequences. We started with a question about how she sees herself today.
0: I love to love people. My purpose in life is to leave everyone better than I found them. Um, And that's just something that I've carried with me across whatever industry I've worked in, whether it was Sandals and Beaches, American Express, publishing, hairdressing, whatever it is, I just want to pour into people. So usually I hug someone The minute that I meet them, I warn them that I'm going to do it, and then they have about three seconds to tell me I'm not a hugger. Um, Is that
1: usually enough time to defend themselves if they don't want to? I can
0: usually see, like, a cold panic coming over them, and I'm like, would you rather just shake hands? But more, So I've been hugging people for about four or five years as opposed to shaking hands, and I can count on the number of hands, on one hand, the number of people who... We're like, please don't hug me. But the number of people who said I really needed that is far superior. So it's really quite worth making people uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm right. an entrepreneur through and through. I didn't know I was going to be an entrepreneur when I grew up, um, but it's it's something that has just happened. Um, so today I am a hairdresser and beauty blogger. I have a beauty blog called Tally Beauty Girl. Our mission is to build a community of women who want to be beautiful both inside and outside. And then of course I get to do their hair and makeup in the process.
1: So I know you grew up in Miami. Yes. Right. And um so just tell me I just want to get a feel for what life was like then your parents any siblings Growing up in Miami Growing up in in, in your your home your family yeah. in Miami Yeah
0: So um my mom had my brother I have a brother at a really young age and we have separate fathers um, and then the my mom remarried when I was a baby our stepdad and my dad is the greatest thing that has ever happened to anyone Um, and my brother is three and a half years older than me. So growing up, my mom was really strict. Um,
1: strict how? What do you mean?
0: Uh, yeah, there was no ifs, ands or buts about what mom said. If mom said it, it could be wrong, but mom said it. So that's what's going to happen. Um, we we were, you know, I was 10 when Hurricane Andrew hit South Florida, and because of, you know, all of the fallout that happens after a massive hurricane, um, we just didn't have very much, you know, we didn't have, um, our stove didn't work, and my parents didn't really have money, and so I was never allowed to really participate in extracurricular activities, going on field trips was kind of not really an option. Um, You know, most of my clothes were purchased at Kmart. And because of these things, um, and just the culture of Miami, so Miami is obviously predominantly Latin, I have Puerto Rican in me, but I wasn't really raised with the culture. So because of a plethora of things, I was very much left out. I was bullied. I was always an outsider. I was never included. I was not a popular person. Um, I was a know-it-all and teacher's pet and just anything that would make everybody hate me. So you're
1: saying it's a combination of maybe a little cultural difference and a little bit of Self admitted personality? I have a there?
0: strong personality. Absolutely. Right. Um, it's something that I have prayed would go away. I've always wanted to be like really demure and proper and whatnot until I realized that those people are boring and <laughs> God made me the way I'm supposed to be. I've just had to learn how to channel it um, in more productive ways and, you know, respect other people's boundaries, set my own. Um, but anyway, so growing up, I was definitely bullied and made fun of um, in middle school was obviously the hardest for everyone. So...
1: How were you bullied? How did you feel so, bullied? So, or- yeah.
0: So um, the first thing I, I can that comes to mind is they cut off my hair. Um, my hair was really, really long. Somebody
1: held you down and somebody No, cut I your didn't hair. even
0: realize it. So our school was uh, very overpopulated. And so to get through the halls, like, and I was tiny like little little girl I would have to like hold on to my friend's backpack hook to like pull me through the masses and I guess somewhere through that someone had like cut my, one of my braids and I got home and I was like, oh my gosh, my hair's gone.
1: I mean, is, was that a thing? Did people do I don't, that? I don't to think other so. I
0: mean, I've never met anyone who that has happened to, um, wow. but yeah, that happened. And then our school, the kids published a newspaper, um, like a, like a, not a fake newspaper, but it wasn't like, you know, produced by the school. Basically making fun of kids and I was on the front. um, Basically, you know, they were talking about how flat chested I was and gave me the nickname The Wall. So for the rest of the year, as we would walk through the halls, like everybody would just kind of rub their hand on the wall when they would see me, kind of reminding me of that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, just different things like that. So when I got to high school, my high school offered cosmetology as an elective. Um, We were a vocational high school. And, you know, that was kind of my opportunity to learn learn how to be a girl and deal with this crazy mop on my head. And, you know, it just really set the tone for the rest of my life.
1: So to me, it's a little interesting if you're not – and maybe they couldn't affect how you felt about yourself. But they were certainly giving you a hard time about your your looks in some way mm-hmm. that that would lead you to want to do cosmetology and beauty. I yeah,
0: mean, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, it – It's really difficult um, for anyone, but I think especially as a woman, because society puts so much value on women's appearance, Um, you know, I think that it's incredibly difficult when you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see and, you know, your hair is 90% of your selfie and it can really, you know, make or break your day. Um, I think for me growing up, you know, nothing was ever enough. I wasn't Latin enough to be accepted by the Latinas. I wasn't white enough. I'm not a redneck. You know, my parents didn't have money. So, you know, even though I went to a private school for a few years, like I didn't really assimilate with them, but I wasn't like in the hood. So I just really didn't know where I belonged. And I think that that really fostered my desire to be inclusive For people to make them feel loved and included and important and valued. If you're listening to this, you are so loved.
1: (laughs) How would you describe kind of your your view of the world at that point? I mean, did you feel jaded? Were you still optimistic, cautious? How did how did you feel about things overall?
0: I think growing up when I was a teenager, I really wanted to make an impact. I really wanted to make a difference. I you know, would just find the people who didn't feel loved and love them, maybe because that was something that I've been called to do, but also because the reciprocation of acceptance was something that I needed as well. Um, I was pretty introverted as a kid. So, you know, I, Spent a lot of time reading in trees. I wanted to be a fairy, so I read in trees. But all of the books I read were by this author called Lurleen McDaniel, who was she wrote about um, kids who were uh, who had terminal cancer. And you know, I just think that my heart has always been really squishy <laughs> for people. Yeah, right, definitely.
1: So you graduate from high school that. Brings you to a point in your life where you can kind of jump off, move into another season. So what happens then? Where do you go? What do you do at that point?
0: So I had worked in a salon in high school as an assistant and really knew that I didn't like the culture. It was very catty. And vain and that was everything that I was trying to avoid. So you know I wanted to be the first person in my family to go to college. So I went to college, um, started at Miami-Dade Community College, uh, then went to FIU and my you know life at that point was like head down, work as much as I can, get through college as fast as I can with as little debt as possible. And that's all I did. I mean, again, my mom was still really strict. So even though I lived at home till I was 22, I had a curfew of one o'clock, which in Miami, that's kind of when the party gets started. And I wasn't allowed to drive till I was 19. So, you know, it was really I could go to work and I could go to school and then I had to go home and do chores as long as I lived in her house. Those were the rules. What Um, were you studying? My So my initial uh, study was um, I did business with a minor in economics, and then I switched to drama because I really wanted to take theater makeup. Um, so I ended up taking theater makeup, set design, and lighting, and then I f- actually got my degree in sociology because I was fascinated with what made people behave the way that they did. And it's interesting how God has used all of that to kind of bring me to where I am today. I use all of the skills, um, random, random skills that I have acquired. Along the way, so while I was in college, I worked for Sandals and Beaches Resorts. I did operations and process for them, and then I moved on to working for American Express um, High Value customers. So I did sales for American in Express in college.
1: Still, you mm-hmm. mean
0: okay? Yep, and then um, and then while I was at Sandals and Beaches, I met a man that I ended up uh, dating for five years and traveling the world with. So. Um,
1: Did you finish school first? Yes. I
0: graduated college in three years um, just because, I mean, I had nothing else to do. So I just took classes. I worked and I went to school and I loved what I was studying. And, you know, I've, I've always been the employee that rised above, you know, and it was the same in school. Like I always... I am a, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it great, and it has both benefited me because wherever I've worked, I have excelled, but it has kind of harmed me because, you know, if if you're the one going the extra mile, everybody who's not kind of looks bad, (laughs) and so my colleagues didn't like me very much, so again, it just really kept me on this independent road, but, you know, I... I mean, I was just really focused.
1: And did living at home still make it feel like an extension of high school? Was it, did it feel a lot different? Living at
0: home was tough. You know, my mom, um, she's amazing. But when I was growing up, she had her own challenges that she was going through. So, you know, being at home was just always tense. Um, And so I think my escape was working extra or taking a lot of classes so that right, it gave just... you someplace else to be, exactly. something to do. Mm-hmm.
1: You meet a guy. I met a guy. You met a guy, and you started traveling the world with him.
0: Yes, so I met this guy, um, I was 20, I believe, and he had just moved to Miami from upstate New York, and I was head over heels the minute I saw him, but he had just moved to Miami and wanted to kind of sow his oats in Miami. And I was like, just call me when you're ready. I will be here waiting. And so, you know, we stayed in touch. I did his hair. He finally called me two, three, four years later, and he was ready to settle down. So we started dating. So
1: did you, were you literally waiting for him? Were you dating during that I time? I was
0: dating. Um, I was dating someone else, and I just always... You know, kind of kept in contact with um the guy I was waiting for. And I told whoever I was dating at the time, like, like when he calls me, i'm I'm going. Like
1: <laughs> <laughs> like this is fun, but don't get long term. yeah, ideas no, about like
0: this. I, yeah. so um, so he called. and, you know, at that time, I was single. I was living on my own. Um, doing really well for myself at American Express. Um, We went on a date and, you know, talked until the moon became a sun. And, you know, I mean, we had stayed in contact over the three years. So I knew him pretty well. But I was like, let's go. Come on. Finally, we had no job or place to live. But we just Drove to LA and found, you know, he found a job with, um, at that time, beauty box subscriptions were just becoming a thing. And uh, I think I started working in insurance. You know, and I started doing hair and makeup for photo shoots and fashion shows. And because he worked for this beauty box subscription, we'd get like five hundred dollars worth of beauty products every month that I could add to my kit and go make beautiful photography that would add to my portfolio. And so how
1: did you get connected to that world
0: at that time? Social media was just catching momentum And there was a website called Model Mayhem, which was essentially photographers, models, hair and makeup artists would get on, and you could kind of search people in your area who were planning a photo shoot, and you could apply to work with them. And, you know, I don't have a shy bone in my body, so I, you know, I connected with a lot of people, got to do some really amazing creative projects, and through that process started a company where – okay, so we would find a mansion in the valley that was super beautiful location for photography, book – at this time, girls were just starting to understand the value of having, like, really hot pictures. And there were a lot of guys with cameras that wanted to take pictures of them. I'm sure. So we would book these models – to come get their photo taken and we would charge photographers to come take their picture and then use the money to pay the hairdressers and makeup artists. So the girls would get their pictures, the guys would get their photos, we'd make money and everyone would have more stuff for their portfolio. It was very lucrative. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it was a lot of fun because these some of these girls would come with like, you know, they wanted to have like this woodland, you know, antler costume they would come with these crazy costumes so there
1: was no promise of any of it being used for anything no nope, portfolio building it was 100 nope. time,
0: time for print right so um so yeah i built a very elaborate portfolio during that time and um shortly after we were in la the economy crashed this was in 2008 ish yep. Um, and I think that the company that, uh, the guy I was with was working for wasn't doing great. Um, and he was like, the dollar's about to plummet. Right. We sh- We should go make Euro. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, because he was a software engineer and that was very, you know, desired industry he just sent his work out to some international companies he had done projects for randomly and a company basically sponsored both of us to move to Amsterdam
1: but the motivation was the value of the euro the value over the of dollar. the dollar
0: absolutely um, and so there was, there were several salons in Europe because because of what he did, he could work remotely. So it was really about where would I get a job. And so I just started sending my portfolio to salons overseas and got a job offer to work at this salon in Holland called World Pay Tom. And they sent me an offer letter before I ever got there. It was like salary, benefits. I mean, everyone has benefits in in Holland because it's socialist and like all I had to do was get my uh Dutch social security number and I could start working so we hopped the pond and moved to Europe <laughs>
1: wow so what what was the idea of beauty in Europe Amsterdam specifically as opposed to America and LA I imagine yeah. they have different ideas completely of
0: completely different so Dutch people are incredibly practical as opposed to people from Miami and L.A. Not Um, practical. (laughs) Not so practical. So in America, you go to the hair salon, you bring a picture of what you want to look like. Okay, but you sit in my chair and you bring me a picture of Beyonce, and I have to remind you you're not black, and this is a wig, so let's talk about your hair. So in Holland, in Amsterdam, it rains every day pretty much, and you go everywhere on a bicycle. So... You know, getting a haircut that you have to blow dry and flat iron and beat into submission is not practical because it's going to rain on your head. And, you know, what. however your hair dries naturally needs to be able to look good. So the salon that I worked for, Rob, uh, he has he just celebrated 50 years. Um, he had built a dynasty um, at the time, he had 14 salons in Holland. Since then, he has more. He has expanded to Bali, and he's actually just opened a salon in New York. i um, super proud of him. But um, his philosophy, their catchphrase was, which is Dutch for get the most beauty out of yourself. So you would look at the person's face shape, hair type, you know, color, all of that stuff and just figure out how to make them the most beautiful version of themselves.
1: Right. Which that seems like a, a logical thing to do, I guess. You not try would to pre- think. Not pretend to be somebody else, but Absolutely. make the most of yourself. Absolutely.
0: Right? It was it was mind blowing to me at the time. <laughs> and, you know, most of my time in the hair industry up until now was kind of going to people's houses, doing their hair. I was very I was a very undisciplined hairdresser, kinda Didn't really watch my time, you know, hadn't had a whole lot of training. So they required that I go to their Academy of Hair. Um, And so I arrived to class on the first day and realized that this was going to be in Dutch.
1: (laughs) And that's a problem.
0: And I mean, so my first language growing up, my brother was really into Star Trek and had me learn Klingon. Which was a very good foundation for Dutch <laughs> because the dialect was so similar. <laughs> so, my fiancee <So> Klingon, Klingon is,
1: is close to Dutch, is
0: beta Dutch. <laughs>
1: That's good to know.
0: So, in Klingon, if you were to greet someone, you would say, which means, what do you want? Would
1: I? Is that what I would say? That's
0: what you would say. Okay. And in Dutch, to say, like, good morning is good So, you would still have that, like, throaty sound. So, um, so um, I did learn Dutch. Um, I love languages. How long did that take you? I mean, obviously, you pick up more as time goes on. But I think because the first exposure that I had was the vocabulary of cosmetology. Right. You don't I, need that
1: many words. I knew
0: what you were talking about. And a lot of the words are – so Dutch is if German and English made a baby. So hair is hard. Pretty easy. Um, <laughs> I could follow that. Yes. Um, s- you know, highlight is foily. Well, you use foils to highlight, but then some things are really hard. So, like a gloss or a toner is a spooling. I'm like, I don't know how y'all got that, but okay. So, you know, it was just one of those things, but I was in it. I was submerged in the culture. So, it right. was pretty quick and easy for me to learn. Um, and most people in Amsterdam, because it's a tourist city, speak English. Um, but I did enjoy learning Dutch. Because my classes were completely in Dutch, I also, in addition to my classes, got private one-on-one training with Rob himself, um, as well as my, you know, the manager at the particular location salon that I worked for. So I got a lot of extra training that other people didn't get, and I was not sad about
1: that. So why do you think that is? Why did you get the extra training? Because
0: they, they, they gave me my training in English.
1: Oh. Yes. So that kind of set you apart. Exactly. Right. Okay. So that worked to your advantage.
0: Being an outsider worked to my yeah. advantage See, there you time. go. For the yes, first time, absolutely. it worked. For okay. sure. Good. Um, so it was excellent. And because of my experience doing fashion shows and photo shoots in L.A., I was always chosen to, you know, work on the magazine spreads or the fashion shows. I helped launch the first Amsterdam Fashion Week with Rob. Um, you know, I got to do some really, really fun things because I'm very comfortable being on stage and, you know, I like like, having that entertaining persona. So I was lucky that I I was the chosen one a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. I just had to – that was a time. I'm sure that
1: didn't make you super popular with the other girls. Yeah, maybe? but I
0: didn't speak Dutch, so I don't care. You don't, you don't know what like, they were saying about you. I was just like, whatever. I'm just, you know, living in Holland. And honestly, I was too high to notice. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, at that time um, probably was, you know, the, the – the beginning of the end of of addiction for me. So, um, you know, my, the man that I was dating at the time um, was obviously very heavy into pot smoking and, you know, a bunch of other things that were just very um, unrighteous. And I would kind of do whatever he wanted because I was just so, you know, beer goggles on. <laughs> now, did you
1: know that back in Miami?
0: I did, Um, and initially I wouldn't date him because of that, but you know,
1: love makes you do crazy stuff.
0: Love makes you do crazy things and stupid things and all of that.
1: Right. So now you're in Amsterdam, your career is going really well, Mm -hmm. but another element enters your life or begins to take hold more in your life in the addiction part. So,
0: you know, before he would date me, I had to smoke. So you know, it was definitely something that I you know sacrificed, compromised, right. and did. So you know, we lived in LA, and at that time, you know, marijuana was becoming legal. Get your medical marijuana card, which obviously he did, and um, you know, it was. I mean, we were we were within the thresholds <laughs> for sure. So while my career was amazing. You know, home life. I mean, we had great times. I'm not going to undermine the good times that we had, but I was also, again, really lonely. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a bunch of Dutch friends. Um, I was thousands of miles away from my family. Um, there were a lot of times where I felt trapped in Holland. You know, and that's not usually the side of the story that I tell. But right. I remember, you know, just crying and, you know, wondering, like, how did I get here?
1: So on the surface, everything
0: I mean, in pictures, good. it looks really good. Yeah. But that's what hair and makeup is for. <laughs> right. Um, so
1: when, what, what do you think made you come to that realization or that that feeling started to take hold of you?
0: I think that there was a whisper the whole time. You know, I think even when... We started dating or when we moved to New York and definitely when we were in LA I mean it was not always sunshine and rainbows in our relationship and but I was I didn't have much of a backbone I didn't have a firm understanding that I was capable and I was so far from my family and because of our lifestyle. Like he made a lot of money and I didn't really, because as a hairdresser, every time you move, you have to start over. Right. So I kind of really depended on him financially, but he would want to live really lavish, but I would have to pay half. So, mm-hmm. which was a
1: lot harder on you than on him. Me,
0: exactly, because marginally I was broke. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, and so there was just a lot of power that I did not have um, in our relationship. And the way that i'm living was not conducive to my morals and i think that that margin of of not living in line with your morals whether it's laziness lethargy procrastination addiction you know whatever i think that margin is where depression happens and anxiety and i think that that is really where i lived at that time and so, how
1: long of a period are we talking about so in we amsterdam? were
0: in amsterdam for 2 years okay um while I was there I went to the doctor about my depression and it was really interesting because in America I went to the therapist about my depression and she prescribes me antidepressants and mood stabilizers. Well, in Europe he asked me what does your diet look like and how often do you exercise? And I was like I'm skinny so I don't exercise and my diet looks like I eat as much sugar as I possibly can. <laughs> Because I was a stoner, so right. <laughs> so um, you know he kind of told me to back off the sugar and to you know sport three times a week and get my heart rate up. Well, at that time I had just launched a blog, and so being the the nerd that I am, kind of really went down the rabbit hole of of what foods influence depression, and then I went into like what foods will give you healthy skin and beautiful hair and all great content for my blog. Um, right. But really kind of found that the way that I was eating was not uh, contributing to my mental stability. Also the way I was living, but the food was not helpful. Right. And so I really kind of cleaned that up. And
1: So what did you do? You just came in and said, I'm throwing all the sugar away. I'm going to start eating fruits and vegetables. I mean, what? What kind of cookies? I just did kind
0: of stopped eating so much strope waffle. So they have these cookies in Thro-fawful? Holland. Strop waffles okay, Syrup waffles. Uh-oh. They're like syrup waffle cookies. They actually have them at Home Goods. Sounds pretty good. They are amazing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to tempt you with the idea no, it's of it. Okay. Okay. I
0: have more discipline than I did 10 <laughs> years ago. Um, so yeah, just really cleaned that up. And then I started getting really into meditation. I found a book called The Art of. The Art of Happiness it's co-written by the Dalai Lama and learned, you know, about controlling your thoughts and, you know, instead of like forcing a thought out, just inviting, acknowledging and then moving on.
1: Hey everybody. Just a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by Fiori Communications. Just like people, every business has a story to tell and we've been helping our clients tell their story since 2001 because who you are as a company is just as important as what you do to learn more about how telling your story can make a difference in your business visit fioricommunications.com thanks again for listening now back to the show i'm um, so so amsterdam so eventually, what happens next
0: we so homeboy was a huge lebron james fan aren't we all no <laughs> That's going to be a hard no, Dave.
1: A hard no on LeBron. Hard no on LeBron. Okay.
0: So, at that time in 2010, LeBron James was having the conversation of should he go from the Cavs to right. the Heat?
1: Take his talents to Miami
0: Beach. To Miami. Right. So, he the guy I was dating was like, if LeBron moves to Miami, it's a sign from God that we need to move to Miami. Now, meanwhile, these conversations and press conferences were happening while we were in Spain during the World Cup in 2010 when Spain Went against Holland, and he was consumed by LeBron. And I'm like, dude, we're like in Spain right now.
1: <laughs> you think that would capture his attention? That'd be enough to capture no, his attention. Right? It was
0: not. So, um, as you know, LeBron went to the Heat.
1: Right. You know, I'm going to have to tag LeBron on this podcast now. You're because welcome. Of this. Okay.
0: So LeBron went to the Heat, and we went to Miami.
1: Wow. We went. To that Miami. was literally the reason you moved back to Miami.
0: Yes, it is. So um, my parents had moved uh, to Crawfordville in 2006, about a year before I moved to New York, and I was not moving from Miami to Crawfordville. That's a big change. That was a, that was also a hard no. Yes. <laughs> not going to happen. So, um, but when we came back to the States, we both went to visit our family. I hadn't seen my parents in three years. And I got here, and I just kind of had this feeling like, maybe I should just stay in Crawfordville because I'm not proud of my life. And my mom was like, oh, it's just cold feet. She didn't know. You know, she's like, "Eh." I knew he was going to propose. And I was like, "Uh," not really sure about it. But, you know, kind of at that time, I didn't trust myself and my intuition and my judgment. So I kind of listened to what everybody else was saying. And I was like, well, I've been with him for you know, four years and should just stay. Right. So we ended up getting engaged and moving back to Miami, you know, in this glorious apartment, ocean view from every room, upgraded appliances. The only thing I cared about was I just want a washer and dryer and unit so I don't have to like deal with it. So this is
1: a place he had picked out for you? Yeah,
0: because we could walk to the Miami Heat Arena
1: Of course, to see LeBron. To see LeBron,
0: yeah. So it was like right on the Venetian causeway, and it was a beautiful apartment, but all I wanted was washer and dryer and unit, and that was like the one thing we didn't have. Totally metaphorical. (laughs) So he had been traveling, and I was, you know, sitting on our balcony looking at the water and just like asking myself over and over again, how did I get here? Like... I am not proud of my life. I hate the way he talks to me. All we do is smoke. Like, I feel like I have no say because I don't bring enough money to the table to have a say. You know, I was just really kind of ashamed of where my life had ended up. And kind of decided at that moment, like, I need to go. So I... Stashed some cash, and the next time he went out of town, I rented a studio apartment on the beach and packed all my stuff and left and slept. I mean, I could not afford anything. I didn't even have a car because we moved back to the States, and we had a car. It was his car. Sure. So I slept on a yoga mat, and I took public transportation to a salon I was working for, and... Saved up enough to buy a scooter and air mattress. and So
1: you were poor, but you were free.
0: I was poor, but I was free. And that was good. It was good. But I did not stop smoking. (laughs) (laughs) And I wish it could say that it got better. It did not. Um, So I worked for a salon in Miami. I made so much money. It was ridiculous. I was doing really, really well for myself, really happy. Um, But the salon that I worked for... Was not super happy with the philosophy that I was applying from Europe because... The
1: practical part?
0: Because it's low maintenance. And when you have low maintenance hair, you don't make as much money. You
1: don't have to come in as much.
0: Exactly. So they kind of wanted me to start doing some things that just was not how I wanted to do hair. And I wouldn't do it. And they threatened to fire me. And I still wouldn't do it. And eventually, I got... Mean, were the
1: clients happy? The clients were happy,
0: yeah. Um, But you know, this is in Brickell, Miami, and it was too low maintenance. It was too. I mean, these are these are some bougie babes in Miami, (laughs) like
1: the hair wasn't big enough.
0: I mean, yeah, there was just I was I'm not going out like that. So I got fired, um, but not before basically stealing my entire client list and not realizing I had a non compete, Mm. and they sued me for $10,000 and I lost. So, you know, a plethora of things happened. It was a series of unfortunate events. I got sued, lost. My car got vandalized. I had a Craigslist scam. My drug addiction went from, you know, marijuana to cocaine. And that's not cheap. (laughs) And, I mean, really kind of philandered for two more years, you know, I have, you know, drug wounds and scars and traumatic memories and it was horrible you know I moved to an apartment that you know my it was infested with roaches in the hood and it was super dangerous and you know
1: it sounds like I mean that's a pretty low point right I mean it
0: was a really low you've got
1: addictions that you can't really pay for Mm -hmm. you're you're living a dangerous life as far as your own personal safety yeah I mean how did you deal with all that if I mean It seems like a lot to handle.
0: (laughs) I did so many drugs I didn't care. (laughs) I was dancing all night. I was happy. Right. Um, And yeah, I mean, essentially, I didn't deal with it. You know, I I started working for Home Depot doing this marketing campaign for a third party organization um, that was kind of a pyramid scheme, Um, and. I did great because I had all this sales experience and sure, I yeah. don't have a shy bone in my body. So, you know, talk to 200 people a day to get four yeses. It means take 196 no's like a pro, you know, all of that stuff. Um, got some really great sales training. But, you know, at the next, the next opportunity for me with that company was to go manage my own market, which would have made me financially responsible. Well, my rent checks were bouncing and I had a rotisserie chicken and a bottle of wine in my fridge and that's kind of how I was living my life and I just really felt like God was telling me like move to Crawfordville and I felt like he was telling me this for years and I was like mm, nope
1: <laughs> <laughs> again a hard no on hard no on
0: that and yeah. God just kept you know he'll he'll make you suffer until you're obedient and so I think I suffered until I called my mom one day and I was like come get me and i walked outside and there was this like cuban refugee family and i was like, necesito un cama. like do you need a bed do you need anything like come to my house and take it all i'm out and kind of that was just my mo like you know move miami to new york new york to la la to amsterdam, amsterdam miami like like oh everything's going bad like give away all your belongings and move <laughs> right so i gave away all my belongings and moved to crawfordville and that was in uh, the end of 2013.
1: So that, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, you literally just walked away. Yeah. Right? I just. And you were happy to, I mean, because it didn't sound like you I had a I don't know ton that happy
0: was the description I would use. I would say desperate. Mm. I would say I was. Did I was, you
1: think you would not live if you stayed in Miami?
0: I knew I would die. Yeah, I knew. I knew that. I mean, I had almost OD'd several times and, you know, woken up in my own vomit on the beach or in someone's house like I don't even know this person like where's my stuff was there anybody to,
1: to check on you or to make sure I mean you the were boyfriend
0: okay? that I was dating at that time was also heavily in cocaine and you know was probably a catalyst for a lot of the you know things that I was doing and again can't blame him Um, you know, I released him from that, but at the same time, it just was not a healthy environment. And I just really felt like I needed to be somewhere where there was unconditional love and, you know, my mom and I had worked really hard through the last 10 years to overcome, you know, challenges that we faced from my childhood and her strictness and all of that. And, uh, you know, it was, so that
1: was a place for you. Home was a place to be loved.
0: Yes, I mean, definitely more love than the streets of Miami. Sure.
1: (laughs) It's kind of a low bar, but I mean,
0: my mom has – my mom is an angel. My mom and dad are both just – I would not be alive today if it weren't for their refuge. Um, So, yeah, came to –
1: And they were always like the parents of the prodigal son, right? They they wanted you back. Oh, yeah. They didn't care what you had done, where you were, what was happening. They didn't care. They wanted you back.
0: Yes. And that must
1: have made you – I mean, that alone – to Makes you, feel you know,
0: when I first got up there, I had nothing, and I had everything. Mm. I had a bed, I had a full fridge, <laughs> I had of food, a, real food, of real food. Right. I had a safe place to. Live. I had washer and dryer <laughs> you in got my your... house. <laughs> I was so grateful for laundry that I didn't need coins, and stray cats weren't on the washer. It was like great. It was. You know, I I mean – and my parents' home in Crawfordville like backs up to the Apalachicola Forest and like they have this beautiful Florida room that like you look at the birds and it's just – it's such a place of tranquility and safety. Um,
1: So a great change for you, Crawfordville. Definitely a a move in the right direction. It
0: was a step in the right direction. So what –
1: so did that – fix everything? No. So what happened yeah, What happened? Addictions will
0: follow you because you are the addict, not your location. So at this point, I really kind of never – I've never done any hard drug since leaving Miami like that was – I'm not doing it. Uh, but I came up here and really started drinking like an addict. I mean I've never – like it still blows my mind the way that I drank at that time. I would wake up at 2 in the morning – And just start taking shots of whiskey. And, like, for no reason. I mean, it's not like there was a party going on at my parents' house in Crawfordville at 2 a.m. Like, I mean,
1: was it a pain you were trying to kill, or was it just that? I think I was
0: chasing the high of cocaine with alcohol. Okay. And, you know, if you know anything about substances, they are not the same high, and, you know, they won't get you to the same place. But I was just so used to that feeling. And, you know, I was new to Tallahassee, didn't know where to buy weed. So my mom had whiskey. I'm going to drink some whiskey. And, um, you know, same same behaviors, waking up in my vomit, you know, at, you know, I started meeting people, going out, getting blackout drunk, driving home to Crawfordville. Mm-hmm. You know, there were times where my parents would find me in their driveway, passed out in my car, having thrown up all over my car. And I don't even remember Getting home. I right. mean,
1: I mean, how did your mom react to that? I mean, the to way you. any
0: mom would react to it, it was so heartbreaking for her and my dad and my, my grandma lives with my parents. And, you know, I think back to the time and the pain that I caused them and I'm just mortified and, you know, I have to forgive myself. And that is a conscious decision all the time to have to, like, repeatedly forgive myself for the people that I hurt, you know, when I was wrapped up in my own selfishness. Right.
1: So when did you reach a point, because I know we're talking now, so I know there is a happier end to all this. So where did you reach a point where that was just enough and you needed to change? It took
0: about two and a half more years. Um, So I, uh, I worked at Hotheads for like five minutes, and in that time with my knowledge that I had from the Home Depot campaign of like, put me in a group of people and I can build a clientele. I, you know, encouraged hotheads to join the chamber, went to networking events, told everyone in the room, whoever's doing your hair can do it better and uh, said it to the right person. This guy whose hair was just so wrong for his face shape. And I said, please grow your hair for six weeks. Call me. I'll give you the best haircut you've ever had. So from that day to the time he called me, I got fired from Hotheads because I was super arrogant and had a chip on my shoulder. And because
1: you had done this around I'm an the world, international
0: hairdresser.
1: <laughs> so you need to listen to me
0: exactly. Um,
1: I'm sure they love that.
0: Praise God for humility. Um, so that guy called me and you know for his haircut, and I was like, well, at that point, I felt a strong calling that God said just. Be still. Like, stop. <laughs> you are going 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. And then you get knocked down and you get up and you go to 100 miles an hour in a different run. Like, just stop. Right. So I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to job hunt. I'm not going to work in a salon. Like, I'm just going to be still. And so this guy calls me for his haircut. And I was like, yeah, God told me to be still. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing. And he's like, so I actually... Was calling you for a different reason. I have this idea for a company, and I think you would be great at sales. So the idea of the company was socially loved. Right. And um, met with so him. So he got
1: that from your interaction in the hair salon?
0: He got that from watching me go to everyone in the room saying, whoever's doing your hair, I can do it better, <laughs> okay. and just, like, booking. I mean, I booked right. so many. He saw times. the
1: hustle. He, he saw the hustle. Right, okay.
0: Um, I mean – I gotta hustle, so right. you know when you move over and over as a hairdresser, you gotta hustle. Right. So, so this is Eric. This is Eric. Okay. Um, so he told me this idea of a, of an of a company that would love others and remind small business owners that they need that they are loved by using their word of mouth and you know just my heart over the years all about wanting to love people. I was like, okay, this sounds great. I've never built a company from the ground up, um, but we did. And it was great because when Socially Love started, we were capitalized when we started. And so through Dev development of the company, I got paid. Right. So and what was
1: his his background and what was he looking for from you?
0: So Eric, uh, Eric had another publication called Locals Love Us that he had done in seven other cities across the state he had franchised. It was very successful. And the way that it worked was it was a voting platform where people would vote for their favorite businesses and the businesses would be allowed to advertise in the magazine. The challenge was, is one, the same people would win over and over again. And two, people didn't really trust it because it it was like the loudest person was who got all the votes, not necessarily the best or most honorable person. The one who
1: would rally the most votes for them.
0: So it just wasn't trustworthy. And he actually moved to Tallahassee to bring it to its eighth city and felt like God was telling him to stop and do something else. And um, so this something else was socially loved. The initial concept of it was, you know, giving away gift cards to reward people for speaking kindly about businesses. So we were capitalized when we got started, um, went through... I don't even know how many rough drafts <laughs> before we finally put out a first book. Um, and you know, over the course of the years, just <sighs> learned a lot and And you like
1: this, right? This was a- I
0: loved the mission. I mm. loved the mission. Initially, when he told me about the idea, I thought I was going to be doing hair and makeup for photo shoots that would go in a book. That is not what I did, right? <laughs> but if you're in the book and you need your hair and makeup done for the photo shoot, That's right. Call me. You're there. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I ended up um, through the four or five years that you know I worked with the company, I did 100, 99% of the sales for the company.
1: The and the concept is it's basically social media posts in print. Right? Exactly. Yep. So it's saying good things. Sharing the, the brand, the feeling, the culture. It's
0: word of mouth in a book. Right. Okay.
1: Yeah. And how did that how was that received at first?
0: I think at first people had no idea what we were talking about. <laughs> Cause traditionally advertising is your logo, your photo, a website, you know, a call to action. So we used to like draw these stick figure pictures before the first book ever come out and people were like, I don't get it at all. And so um we, you know, we basically gave away our first book for free and right. just found businesses, put them in it so that we right. could have Proof a of
1: concept. That's not that unusual right. really to do that.
0: Yep. So once people saw it, they loved it. I mean, it's a beautiful publication, excellent quality. The client would receive a lot of value out of it, you know, they'd get these beautiful photos that they could use for their website, social media, you know, brand pamphlets, print, whatever, you get rights to the photography, which that in and of itself paid for itself. And then we would put these books all over the city, um, you know, direct mail to homes and in doctor's offices. So they would get a lot of pickup, um, a lot of shelf life and longevity. And so basically, we, so year one, we changed our concept so many times that I felt when we finally nailed down what we were going to do, we needed to have a party. What I really wanted was to throw a massive Gatsby party at the Capitol. It sounded like a good idea at the time. I actually remember that. Also not a sober thought.
1: Right.
0: right. <laughs> so I was like, it'll just take me a day to plan. Have you ever planned a party? That does not take no. a day. <laughs> so this Gatsby party. Yep took all of my effort from October to January to plan. So I was putting all of my effort into this and not selling. So the company was losing a lot of money. They were, you know, obviously super frustrated with me, but I really wanted to have this Did Eric
1: want the party or was... Nobody wanted the party. (laughs) Just you.
0: I wanted the party. Okay. And I'm a really hard person to say no to. So I got my party. And the next day, I think the weight of, you know, the party was... Very well attended. We planned for 200, 400 showed. And it was not the demographic I was hoping for. I wanted it to be our clients. And like basically everyone in Tallahassee who wanted a Gatsby party and an open bar came.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, so it
1: wasn't really business development. It
0: was such a waste of time. Yeah. Um. And so I think the weight of that just kind of collapsed on me the day after the party. And so. To deal with it, I did what I know how to do, which was to drink and smoke, and I drank two bottles of wine by myself. Uh, at this time, I was about 105 pounds. So, drank two this bottles- This is when you got home from the party. This was the next day. Okay. Um, you know, came home, drank this wine, left my house to go looking for drugs, and got lost. I didn't know where I was. So- I lived in Midtown and apparently ended up somewhere on like Tharp and Old Bainbridge at like two in the morning, blackout drunk. Had to send my husband a pin to come find me and like pick me up because I couldn't figure out how to get home. Right. And the next day- and you were in a car. I was in my car. Okay. I was driving. Right. The next day, went to drink some more and realized, oh, I must have drank it all the night before. I should go get more. And at this point, I, you know, again, I said, living in a way that's not conducive to your morals is where depression lives, in my opinion. At this point, I was suicidal. And so I called Eric and I was like, I just need a day (laughs) to kind of figure things out. And he didn't know that I was struggling with anything. I think a lot of my sales meetings weren't going great because I was high in them and was rambling and, you know, Mm. it was just not good. And so when I called him and told him this, he said, take all the time you need. And when I hung up, I felt like God said, you will take all the time you need to get sober. And I was like, "Mm, I'm going to drink and read the Bible.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a half solid plan.
0: Yeah. You know, I was all about that, Joshua. Um, So, you know, that's what I did. I drank and I read the Bible and um, did not get sober. And it took about two and a half weeks of me just living in my addiction. And I called Eric and was like, I just need one more day. And turned, no, I texted him and I turned my phone off because I didn't want to see his response. And when I turned my phone off, I felt like God said, you're going to lose it all. And the next morning, I turned my phone back on and Eric had texted me, you should come to the morning meeting. So I smoked
1: right. and then I
0: went to the morning meeting Right, and he basically said that he was going to sell the company because the market didn't trust us. And I was like... I know why the market doesn't trust us. And socially loved, you know, after everything I had been through was everything to me. I mean, I met my husband because of socially loved. I met everyone I knew. I was identifying myself as this hug dealer. And I couldn't lose this lifeline. Like what this company was going to become was my ticket to success. And I couldn't lose it. So... I was like, I have to get sober. And so I went to an AA meeting. I had been when I first moved here, you know, and listened to everybody. And I'm like, oh, I don't have a problem with drinking. I have a problem with drugs. So <laughs> right. I'm not like you people. Right. Um, but I went to an AA meeting and, you know, listened and cried the whole time. And, you know, picked up a white chip of surrender and drank the next day. Got mm. completely wasted and that was when it was like, you can't even go a day. <laughs> Clearly there's a problem. In AA, we talk about if you're not sure that you're an alcoholic or an addict, tried some controlled drinking and see how that goes. Right. I got drunk. <laughs> that's how that went. Yeah. So the next day I went back, picked up another white chip, and that was that's my sobriety birthday. It was February 16th, twenty or February nineteenth, twenty sixteen. Um so we socially loved. In January of 2016, Wait, so
1: that, that was it. That was it. No drinking since then.
0: I've been totally sober, no drinking, no drugs. Wow,
1: that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah.
0: So in January of twenty sixteen our revenue was like seventeen thousand. In February was sixteen thousand. In March was thirty nine thousand. And the following January I bought the company. I invested in it with Richard. Okay. My partner. So sales were going great. We were getting momentum. People were trusting us. So
1: wait, so I'm sorry, I just want to back up. So Eric got out. Eric sold sold half the
0: company to me and Richard. Okay. But we had majority. Okay. So it was So
1: Eric moved on, but socially loved continued with you and Richard. Exactly. And now things are looking better.
0: Things are good. So so in twenty seventeen things were going great. We had profit. We were taking distributions. We were getting momentum. We were looking at opening other markets, like Everything was amazing, um, and you're
1: doing well through this.
0: I was doing great, happy. You know, in AA we talk about the pink cloud, like everything's amazing, it's so good. Um, and I think over time, of doing the right things, you know, whether it's sobriety or just staying really disciplined and focused on your goals, over time you get momentum, and then you kind of start to see how consistently consistency pays off, and you get really excited because you have hope. You know, your consistency is actually moving the needle. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, I'm doing it. I'm doing the thing. Like, this is it. (laughs) So, you know, I have been working on getting sober and doing the thing since I left my ex-fiance, you know, 10, nine years earlier. So like, yay, finally. (laughs) So things are going good. um, But I had to work so hard for us to make budget because we had all of this startup debt from all of those different ideas that we had and paid for we were no longer capitalized and you know there was just there was a lot of pressure for me and you know, I'm the kind of person that I can go 100 miles an hour for about 15 minutes and then I need a break and I go 100. Right. So, you know, that's not good for business revenue if that's your sole producer. You know, like it's okay if someone does it, but then somebody needs to come and pick up the slack. There wasn't anyone to pick up the slack for me. And over time, I just kind of realized, like, what's going to happen if I want to have a baby? Or what's going to happen if I want to take a vacation? Or you know, it's always going to be like this. Right. Like it it's, never goes away. It's, it's I'm as long as I'm the sole producer, it's always going to be on my shoulders. So
1: Richard wasn't involved on the sales. End. Richard
0: did creative. So and he's amazing at it. He's so good. Um. So yeah, he's amazing at photography. He built our entire distribution process. You know, he kind of really did everything else. And I did sales. He managed our social media, you know, the blog, the creative, the putting the book together. I mean, honestly, the company was really built on Richard. I just made the sales. So, you know, obviously sales are super important, but I couldn't sell the books if the books weren't beautiful and everywhere. So it was really a a joint effort. Sounds like
1: you complemented each other well.
0: On paper. Right. In real life, we did not we didn't I mean we just are very very similar to a fault and I think um that was really hard on us and it was really hard on our on our team uh it was really hard on Eric and eventually like Eric moved away to Colorado and we were just kind of like all right well it's up to us and we Can't agree on anything. (laughs) So, you know, we just kind of like as long as we stayed in our own lanes and did our job, everything was great. But the minute we had to like sit down and solve a problem, it was a nightmare. But eventually
1: you decided to move on yourself.
0: I just didn't want to sell advertising anymore. I I missed doing hair and I really wanted something that would allow me to start a family. And so I uh, stepped down and sold my shares to Richard, and picked up my scissors, and started doing hair again. And so I took a brief tour (laughs) of helping uh, Vail Food Co. build their catering division. I love building business. I have some experience in it. I knew a lot of small business owners who need to cater, and I like to build process. And so I really just stepped over to Vail for a little while to help create those processes um, with Sunny. He was a client of ours at Socially Loved. Love him to pieces. We're very like-minded with you know the tenacity that we attack our goals. Right. Um, so glad I got to mentor under Sunny for a short time. He really taught me that my threshold for stress needed to grow, because um, I'm very emotional. And, you know, I have learned just, I mean, you work in food service, you learn how to deal with stress, let me tell you. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And I think it was just like one more lesson that I needed to get before I really stepped on my own as a sole owner of my very own business. So it was a good
1: transition period. It was
0: excellent. I got a lot of free food. Um,
1: Good food, healthy food. Healthy
0: food, which was great because I did a fitness competition through the process, which, you know, made it really easy for prepping. Right. I was definitely fueled by veil And I won fifth place. So yeah. it's just a... Well, I
1: did want to get into that. So we'll jump over that real quickly. So in the middle of all this, you decided that you wanted to be a, a bikini fitness competitor.
0: So I wanted to do bikini competition since I moved to Tallahassee. You did. But it's not very complementary to the active addiction lifestyle. <laughs> and then once I got sober, my focus really needed to be on... So building. it's
1: hard for your body to look good if you're not healthy. Is that... Uh, Yeah. That that seems logical. It requires
0: a lot of discipline, (laughs) which addicts don't typically have. Um, And then also my focus was really on building socially loved. And so, you know, working with Vail... I just had the flexibility and support that I needed to go after this goal.
1: I mean, that sounds like kind of an all-in kind of thing, right? A
0: hundred percent. Yeah, there is no, I mean, you really, you're not going to do all of you if you don't fully commit to doing a show. Um, I met my coach through Instagram. She's amazing. I still work with her today. We actually have about a year. October 6th will be a year from us working together. Um, So are you
1: still doing that in any capacity now? I'm
0: not training for a show. I'm training for life. Okay, it's a lifestyle.
1: So the workouts, the training, the diet yep. it's for you not not to be on stage. It's just for your own. I will and... definitely
0: compete again one day okay. after a baby right. Okay. That's the goal. Sounds like a good goal. We're working on it. Okay. It's fun to work on that goal. All
1: right. So you leave (laughs) Vail and then you get back into the So I actually
0: started doing hair again while I was still at Vail. Okay. Um, I had enough clients that I didn't really want to do them in my bathroom anymore. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, And so I had started renting a room at a salon just on Saturdays. The owner didn't work there on Saturdays. So I rented her space for like 50 bucks a day. And eventually my Saturdays were booked. And I knew I didn't want to stay in food service. I knew that that was not a, my forever home. And Sunny knew it too. Um, but I, I didn't really know what was next for me. Um, and one of the rooms at the salon had become available for full time. And I kind of looked at it and I'm like, maybe, maybe I could do this. And so I sat down and found out the price to rent that room. And I was like, maybe I can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but she was amazing and just really like worked with me. She let me take her room, which was smaller and more affordable. It was still a big commitment. And I remember signing the lease and having, Two thoughts. Thought number one was God, this is your ministry. I will not be doing hair for the sake of vanity, but I wanted to take the ministry aspect that I loved and missed from socially loved and applied it to doing hair. The other thing I told myself, and I still tell myself this today when I have a fear of failing, like when too many people cancel or I start getting nervous, is. I sold print advertising in the digital age in a city where I knew no one and sold half a million dollars a year. So pretty so sure I how can How hard could this be? I mean, my my break even is Right, really and plus easy.
1: you're an international hairdresser.
0: I am an international hairdresser and I'm really freaking good at my job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that helps.
0: It helps. I know exactly what I'm doing. Right. And, and so
1: that's thriving, growing. It's
0: going great. Um, you know, I have taken everything that I've learned about having Amazing social media! I actually relaunched my beauty blog that I had when I was Which overseas. Is what? It's uh, TallyBeautyGirl.com. Okay, um, I have wanted to relaunch this blog since leaving my ex-fiance, but my blog that I had back in the day was purchased under his GoDaddy. Of course. And he would not release it to me. Really? So I bought it in 2008, the domain, for 299 And by the time he released it, because of the traffic and exposure I had built up to the website, GoDaddy wanted to sell it back to me for $13,000. I was like, <laughs> I'll just rebuild it. Wow. So, So we're crazy working on it um i have better content now i've partnered with charlene tricky from tricky photos she's an amazing photographer um she was a client of ours that socially loved and when i called her and told her about my idea she was like i want to be part of whatever you're doing and i'm like great because i want your photos they are beautiful they're bright white airy um She's a Christian, which is really important to me. And she just really has a heart for serving her clients. So she does all of my photography. Um, and it's just going amazing. I've taken a whole bunch of education. Um, I've done classes with the business of balayage, which is a national balayage company. Um, what is balayage? So balayage means to hand paint the hair. It's it's just a more natural look, um, but you can really mess it up if you don't do it right. I
1: mean as opposed to highlighting or exactly coloring mm-hmm. the whole, all the hair? Exactly. It's I'm not a hair person, really. You're doing really good. Yeah, thank I'm you. actually
0: super proud of you. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I'm balayage certified. I got my certification, and you know, I've taken a whole bunch of classes since then. Um, my specialty has always been cutting. Um, I'm a ninja, so I really love that now, today, I'm like, my color is on point. Like, I know exactly what I'm formulating. I've written some blogs about how hair color is the same as algebra, and... um,
1: Well, I wasn't good at algebra, so...
0: I apparently... I loved math, and then I stopped practicing and then hated it, and now, you know, color is algebra, and cutting is geometry, and so it's really I get that part. very yeah. scientific um, yeah. and mathematical, um, but there's a creative aspect to it as well. That
1: sounds great. Well, I'm happy that's going well. That's I love certainly, it. that's awesome. All right, we're going to be in trouble if we don't talk about your husband, or you're going to be in trouble what? if we don't talk about yeah, your husband. Yeah, I
0: did spend a good amount of time talking about the other. Yeah, so let's, right. we
1: need to balance that out just a teeny bit. So okay. t- tell me about your husband.
0: My husband's amazing. Um, he is the total opposite of me. So I am a Puerto Rican Leo from Miami. And he is a introvert from Wisconsin. His name is Lewis. His name's Lewis. Um, so I swore after my debolical with LeBron that I would never marry a man who was into sports. <laughs> so God sent me uh, the strength and conditioning coach for the Florida State Seminoles, and that's who I married. That's um, the
1: sense of humor part. God is funny. That, yeah. Yeah. So Lewis is a strength and conditioning coach. He at FSU.
0: worked under Jimbo. Okay. And so obviously when Jimbo had his rough year and the administration left, my husband had to find a new career path. So over the last few years, he's really been exploring different industries and learning a lot. And like I've learned with going through a million different industries is it's all the tapestry that God is creating to use these different skills that you're going to acquire along the way to make you better. And so he's really just been flourishing. Um, He sells insurance now for Tom Patterson at Allstate. So if you need a home (laughs) auto quote.
1: Here comes the plug.
0: (laughs) Call Lewis at Allstate and he'll hook you up. (laughs) Nice. Um, He loves to take care of and protect people and he really likes strategy. So I think he's really enjoying the insurance aspect. I am so blessed that God gave me Lewis. He is stable and consistent and um, if it were not for him, I don't think I would have gotten sober. Um, He really... Knows how to hold me accountable and make me feel loved and empowered at the same exact time.
1: That's awesome. He
0: stopped drinking when I stopped drinking. He didn't really have a problem with it. But, you know, he has seen couples where one tries to get sober and the other one doesn't you know they drink and then it's just kind of enables them to relapse and so he just did not want that to be our relationship he has taught me so much about healthy living through fitness eating right you know he's very he's a coach and so he's he's been my coach and yeah he's my best friend and uh, he's really hot (laughs) Okay. So I really like him. Good. Yeah. Well, I'm
1: glad the hotness, I'm glad that adds another layer. I mean, he's I mean that's I'm that, lucky. That's Don't good. Don't touch him. <laughs> so I do have one final question for you, and that is, um, of course, the podcast name is How I Got Here. Mm-hmm. but the, So that's where we are right now. Mm-hmm. So I just want to know where do you think here might be in three to five years from now?
0: Um, well, I am at Beauty and Grace Hair Salon now and we have had a lot of conversation about things we want to do in the community. We want to have like moms night out. I would love to start a Bible study called Beauty in the Bible. Um, I would love to just pour into the Tallahassee community and make it better not only like aesthetically, Um, But, you know, I really have a heart for Tallahassee. Um, Hopefully there's a baby in the future. And more fitness competitions. (laughs) After the baby. Lots of gains. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. I have learned. So my sponsor from AA is working on something with me right now. And she's going to be so proud of me. So... You know, it's really easy to dwell on the past and look back or look forward and think like, what's going to happen? But she says, look down, where are your feet? That's where your mind should be. And so hopefully this podcast airs.
1: <laughs> it should. Yeah.
0: And, uh, you know, that's where I am today. I'm just loving on Tally and letting women see how beautiful they already are and uh, loving my husband and loving myself.
1: That was Christine Dobysensky. And whether you interact with her in the salon, in the gym, or hanging out in a coffee shop speaking Klingon, your meeting is sure to start with a hug. And that can't be a bad thing. Thanks for listening to the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Thanks to my amazing staff at Fiore Communications who pick up the slack while I'm working on these podcasts and to Troy Bloom for composing our theme music. You can hear more of Troy's creations on Facebook and Instagram at Troy Bloom Music. To connect with the podcast or suggest a future guest, follow us on social media or email us at podcast at